episode 49 here of the Cherokee Rewind. We thank you so much for hanging out with us. I am Mick. This guy uh, that we're going to have on today is, uh, I got a couple of things I want to pick his brain about uh, during his time in Toledo. Uh, He's most infamous for uh, a hit that sparked a brawl that, uh, well, we'll get into that as we go. That, that one, that one, uh, that one was the hit heard around the world. And you can still find it on YouTube. And, of course, anyway, it is uh, my pleasure right now to be saying hi to Mr. Nick Yost. Um, Nick, I usually pick a, a – I try to remember the jersey number you wear. And it's because of that hit you it, that you uh, threw in that game in Dubu- against Dubuque at home. I, I will always remember you wore number seven. <laughs> you, yes, sir, number seven. That I, I actually didn't even get to really pick it, but, yeah, uh, number seven – how did you end up um, getting that jersey? It was just uh, one of the few that were available. I always wore 13 or 11, and I don't think we the 13 was an option. And I believe somebody else already had 11, so 7 was the next best available number. And for a defense, we're going with single digits. It was it was a good good choice. I was going to say, my gosh, most people would – that's one of the first numbers taken, you know, yeah, regardless. And and it stuck. I, I've worn number seven since. Um, wore it after I left Toledo and went went to Nepean, and then wore it through my uh, ACHA years, and still wear it in my men's league. So it's it's stuck for sure. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you you were a defenseman, um, and if I remember correctly, you did you ever play any games up front? No, uh, when I came on, we had actually like the, I, I, you know, I was 16 and the rest of the team was mostly, you know, vets two, three years in, if not four. We had Tommy Higgins, we had Abelglenn, we had Andrew Hafner, we had, uh, I think Sexy got traded for in the middle of the year. Um, so we had a lot of experience and I, I actually was sparingly used, I would say our, our defensemen were all great, uh, sell with. JC, um, I, I, the team was really good my first year. It was I was just happy to be a part of things. I think um, kind of eye opening, but uh, never was really on offense that much. I got, uh, I mean now I mean, used to used to log the puck a lot. Uh, I, I like I like to rush it. Never really did much with it. Point point totals tell you much that I, I I never really got you know put them in the net or anything like that. But I I like to to try and rush when I could. I thought I was a puck rushing defenseman, but um, yeah, I, I just I tried to play the offensive side of the game. I think some guys would tell you that I wasn't that great at it, but that's what I like to do. And um, <laughs> would find myself in the offensive zone, you know, losing the puck in the corner. And then having to back check just with the forwards on the way back, so maybe that's what made you think I was a, a some time on offense. But uh, I mean, the other thing too is I think it was because you were a good skater. You were you had you had real you had a really uh, I mean obviously if you're going to push the puck up, uh, you know from from the defensive side in transition, you have to be a good skater to be able to do that. And you 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 had a natural skating ability, and I remember that very well. And I think that's why. Uh, you, maybe that's why I always wondered if you ever uh, had uh, been up front playing any offensive uh, uh, positions or anything. But let's get started here. Uh, you're a you're a guy from Michigan. Um, talk about when you first started uh, skating. When you first picked up the game. 
I actually didn't really start playing organized hockey probably until I was first, second grade, so seven years old. Um, really got into it. I mean, skating wise, we always did the outdoor rink skating and things like that. And, you know, and most people, you start on the figure skates, the double runner blades and things like that. Um, but it wasn't until, wasn't until I started, you know, noticing the Red Wings because we would go to like parties with our parents and you'd see the Stanley Cup parties and things like that. And that was 97, 98, you know, and that was right when I got into it. Um, but really started actually in just skating outside with, with my dad, um, doing some, uh, roller hockey stuff in the, in the, uh, driveway and in the street hockey uh, leagues, local stuff like that. But organized hockey didn't start for me until, I, yeah, I think first or second grade. Um, and it was all all driven by Stevie Y and the Wings winning the cup and everything like that. Hmm. So, that, so that, did you learn, to, did you, um, did you uh, start as a defenseman or did, did you just start up front? I, I no, I started up front. I you know in the house league, I I played center, and got to lug the puck a lot, and when the goalies weren't that good back then, then you could score a lot of goals. <laughs> so I started, I I started as a as a center, and then I moved back to defense. My I did a couple years of house, and then my first years of travel because I could skate backwards. That's where they were like, oh, you can skate forwards and backwards. That's that's good. Let's play defense here, and then I did defense ever since. Yeah. Holy cow. Now, did you ever, you know how when you're when you're little like that, uh, you know, seven or so, uh, did you have to take a, a turn at goalie? No, I avoided goalie like the plague. I never, never was interested in that position whatsoever. You know, I appreciate <laughs> the guys who do it because even I coach even now and like, uh, you know, goalies, goalies hard when you're little. Goalies hard as a young kid. You know, it's exciting when they have everybody rotate through. But uh, once you get into like, everybody's picked their position and the kids who stick with goalie got to appreciate them because it's not easy. And then, you know, it takes a while for goalies to really find their, their athleticism in the position. So no, I not, not even the least bit, no, <laughs> not, no interest at all to this day. I, I say, you know, the sport's great. My favorite part about it. If we didn't have to have goalies, it'd be awesome. <laughs> Well, in that case, if they didn't have goalies, you'd be like the next Bobby Orr or something, you know? Right, but, right. Uh, be able but, to uh, put muffins in on the nut, and that'd be great. You got it. Got that right. So, Nick, uh, let me ask you, um, you know, you said you played a couple years of house. Uh, who were the coaches that first that you first had to play for? In my house, they were local dads. Um, I remember, uh, what was it, Mr. Like. I, I haven't seen most of these guys in a, in a while, but they're, they're kids I've seen locally in a bit. Um, was it uh, my first me- you know, memorable coach coming up was, uh, was Rob McIntyre. He was a uh, you know, pro player, got a, a sniff in the NHL for a little bit, and he was the one that really kind of – turned things over for me to be interested in hockey enough to start taking it like, oh, I'll practice at home. I'll be dedicated. I'll be excited about it. And he, I mean, we had a very good team under him and we started winning, doing the state championships, stuff like that. So it, when, when the team is good, it's, it's easy to get excited. And uh, when the coach is really, you know, helping you guys uh, 
improve and, and giving you all this information and making you excited about it just from the fact that they're an intense person and then they bring the, the kids intensity up. So that's what I remember from my, my youth days. Um, and then uh, a lot of memorable coaches since then, <laughs> if we want to get well, into some of those. Sure. Tell me about this. Um, let's see. So Dougie Lindensmith and I actually played for a coach together for a while. Um, before our Cherokee days, we had, I think it was two years. So Dougie and I grew up playing against each other. Um, he was always on a rival team. I was on the Gross Point Spartans and he'd always be on Hazel Park or whatever other team was the next best team in the league. And I distinctly remember playing against him because Dougie was always a goal scorer, always got, you know, shadowed when we played him. And, and then we've, as we got older, we finally made it to the same teams. We played, uh, I think it was two years of AAA together um, for Motor City Chiefs organization. And our coach then, Bud Hegan, was a was a, a fun character. I, I think he smoked about 30 packs a day. You know, he, he was, <laughs> but he was, a. I mean, talk about an intense man. Our team was terrible. You know, we barely ever won. We, we, we had a bunch of kids who probably didn't belong in AAA and, and just, it was a fun year. We played a lot of hockey. We played, you know, I think like close to 60 games that year or something. And he was, he was intense. He was in, it was a great experience with him. But uh, like I said before, like the coaches that bring the fire and passion are the ones that you remember for sure. Um, and he was the one that got, you know, got me uh, looking at Toledo. I, I think he had talked to before it was uh, um, Varga before, uh, uh, um, Dunks took over the team, um, and he was the one that you know kind of guided me down to go to the tryouts, go to the the um, I think it was one of the uh, uh, pre-draft skates, or back when the CSHL had the pre-draft skates and stuff like that, um, and got me you know looking at playing junior hockey, and then I actually signed when Varga was still the coach of the team, mm-hmm. and then Dunk was the t- you know the 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 coach when we. Um, when we started in the fall and then, I mean, you want to talk about memories of Duncan, Duncan, one of my favorite coaches of all time, just from both practice wise, intensity wise, game wise. I mean, it was, it was a great two years playing for him. And yeah, well, uh, let me ask you here before we get into that, um, let's talk about, uh, you know, you talk about triple a, uh, where, uh, I mean, were there any other guys that you played against that you saw like in the CSHL after, uh, after you played AAA besides uh, Doug? There were a few. Yeah. Uh, I did a couple years at AAA, did two years at belt tire. Um, and then did the years at, uh, motor city. Um, and I think actually a lot, you know, Dougie's the one that stands out cause we kind of did the same path together. We, uh, we played our last years of AAA together and then we did our, uh, um, uh, first years of junior together. We both made Toledo our first year and, and then, uh, uh, came up together that way. Um, there were other guys. I, I honestly, I wish I could remember more names. A lot of the guys we played against though, in that Midwest elite year, the Midwest elite years, um, they kind of jumped the junior B step and went straight to the O or, you know, higher level USHL teams and stuff. Cause they were just, you know, phenomenal players themselves. That good. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, but I'm sure that, well, the thing is that you guys were pretty darn good yourself. And, uh, I think that had probably also would rub off on you guys 
you know, being able to play at that level. So um, you talked about your coach steering you towards Toledo. Um, were you interested in playing Toledo, or did you want to maybe play somewhere closer to home at first? Well, I, I mean, I was the first person in my family to really play hockey. So I, you know, we didn't know the, the proper routes of, you know, pr- progression for players. Do you stay playing AAA forever? When do you go juniors? What, you know, what are the right leagues? What are, and everything like that. So we relied on the coach's directions on, you know, the Bud had said that, you know, Toledo had a really good team, you know, good, good recruiting staff, good, good coaches, everything about the organization was good. So he steered me that way just by making me aware of it. I don't think I had a lot of other options, to be honest. The uh, Motor City team, um, you know, in the CSHL as well, we got you know, Dougie and I and a couple other guys in the Triple Eight teams would get to practice every now and then with the Junior B team as kind of, you know, tryouts or whatever, you know, just so that they knew who else was in the organization. Um, but, uh, I don't think Motor City ever was as as uh, interested as 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 Toledo was. So Toledo was uh, kind of the first only option, first option, I think. <laughs> um, but uh, I had looked at, I had gone to just about every. Once we, you know, were aware of what the CSHL was, I think I went to every open tryout available. Um, goal was always to make it to an NA team, USHL team, but. The the CSHL, I mean, at the time it was it was a, a definite challenge to play. I mean, there was a lot of good guys, and it was older at the time too. So that that uh, that experience of playing with you know more 19, 20 year olds instead of just other 16, 17 year olds was was a huge you know draw for it. You know, playing against men versus playing against other teenagers. <laughs> well, let me then. Yeah, what other camps did you try out at? Uh, Flint was one of them that I went to the, the motor city one. Um, I don't think I, I didn't go to the Michigan ice or the Michigan ice dogs at the time. I think it was, uh, uh, Metro was another one. Um, kind of just any and all, <laughs> I was a bit of a, of a tryout, um, wanderer. Tryout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Nothing like, nothing like being a nomad. Uh, but, um, so I mean, it's it, it surprises me just from the standpoint. And again, I'm not trying to you know swell your head or anything, but I watched you play, and yeah, you were young and you were a little little green, but you still had an enormous amount of raw talent. It just needed to be honed. But and that's where the coaching comes in and, and getting the experience. But you had a lot of natural talent and ability, and that, that's why it just kind of surprises me that. Uh, that there would be, you know, I would think that any of those other teams, especially considering the fact that um, they weren't always the best teams, that they would, like, just jump at the chance to snap you up. I, I, I guess I, I don't get that, but what do I yeah, I appreciate the compliments, Mick. I'm going to have a hard time making it through the door. Or, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Tires are going to be so pumped, I'll be... Uh... <laughs> Your poor wife. <laughs> um, the the uh, the the team that that showed the most interest in me um, when I was doing that was the Flint team, and I think it was Dan Carlisle coaching there at the time. And the you know Toledo was the be- you know because of their record they had I think they had, the year prior they had lost to St. Louis 
in the in the playoffs, you know, um, finals. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, like I said, it was kind of the first choice, only choice thing where Toledo was the first one to really offer me a spot. And once we made that decision, I was I was all in. Um, I was really, you know, excited about it and, you know, getting the recruitment letters, being able to sign your, your first junior team and all that. So once other interests came by, I don't think we, my parents and I, you know, we just were appreciative of the offers, but we never really, uh, never really looked over the hedges much. I'd say it was always, you know, Toledo was the, was again, first and only. (laughs) That makes sense. Um, so you come into camp here, uh, the Toledo camp. What was I always ask this of every every player? What was it like when you first walked in there uh, as a sixteen year old? That well, you, you was there any intimidation? Was there any? I'm sure there was probably a lot of a uh, lot of nerves. A hundred percent intimidation. Yes, I mean, like I said before, these guys were. I looked at them and I was like, oh my god, these are like you know monsters, you know. It, and just to go, I mean, some of the toughest guys I've ever played with, you know, Bart Reeves on the team. And, you know, like, I think he <laughs> fell like three times during the training camp. I was like, and we only played like two games. I was like, okay, this guy, you know, I'm, and I had never fought at that time. I didn't fight ever, really. I, I was all, yeah, I was kind of a, a sissy in that regard. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I was, I was very much intimidated. Those, uh, these guys were tough. They were, you know, experienced junior hockey players. And, and I was just more, more or less, you know, a bit in awe, but then I also enjoyed playing with, you know, with that kind of, you know, a better echelon or people that I thought were better uh, than where I was prior. It was, um, it was uh, exciting, but yeah, definite felt the intimidation, felt, felt the the nerves, you know, being around some, some serious tough guys. Uh, How long did it take you till you started to feel a little more comfortable? Uh, yeah. Probably once we got into the season, once once you you play some games and you see that you know everybody's everybody's normal guys and and you know make it through a few practices and see everybody gets yelled at, you know no, nobody's um nobody's above anybody else in, in in that regard and it just took probably I would say a month until I was really settled and I think I even sat a, for a couple games early because I, I think it was pretty evident that I was. Uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, I got, I think I got healthy scratch for what, maybe the, like two games back to back. And after that, I was like, okay, this is real life. I can handle this now. Wow. Okay. So, um, do you remember your, your first game in a Cherokee uniform? Uh, first game. I can't, I can't say I do. I remember like a smattering of, of the early games, you know, there was definite, um, there was one that I think it was an early game and I think it was against Metro and I only remember it because we, you know, we would do the video sessions after games, you know, Ducks would, uh, uh, we had that nice kind of lounge area and we would do in the locker room and we would every now and then do the video sessions. And there was a, a play I had, I had gone up on the rush. I had a good scoring opportunity and I had not only lost the puck, like just mistakenly lost the puck as I wound up to shoot, but then I proceeded to like fall and basically just like a spread leg, spread eagle, fall down. And it was just, it was funny. You know, we, we watched it in the video and I just sat there. I'm like embarrassed, but you have to laugh at it because it was just, just so, so bad and so, such a goofy like play. And um, that, that's a memorable moment for me of just being like, okay, you know, 
Way to go, idiot. <laughs> Way to embarrass <laughs> yourself. Um, but then uh, uh, I just remember the early road trips, I think, in the Michigan ones, because I, I would have to drive down to Toledo and then bus back up to something <laughs> that was closer to home. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. Why would they make you do that? I mean, I, I don't know if they actually made us. I, I think it was something that I thought, you know, was the right thing to do. Because I, I, I think there were guys who, who would meet us at the rinks and, and meet us at the games. But being, being a young person, you know, a young player on the team, I didn't want to exclude myself from anything, right? You didn't want to put yourself, give any reason to be an outsider on anything. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. So now, like, if you, um, which were you closer to, Motor City or Metro or Michigan? Um, Motor City for sure. Yeah, Motor City was the was the closest one for us, um, but Motor City jumped around rinks a lot too. So I can't remember what their final playing place was at the time, because um, for a while they were playing out of Canfield, kind of outside of Dearborn. Yeah, they play. That was that was their main main one. Uh, I know that uh, they played. Uh, gosh, I I can't remember where else they played, but I know they played a couple places. And stuff, but Canfield's the one I remember. Oh my gosh, yeah. that place is interesting. I'll just yeah. say that it was interesting. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, probably still got stains of smoke from where your coach. Was. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, uh, but um, I, I just, I, I guess you know, I just find it kind of odd. But um, that I would think that would probably. Well, I guess the the, the upside is that you probably slept good at night after those games, uh, those road games like that, because you're on the road coming down to Toledo an hour plus, and then you got to go, you know, two and a half hours back up to, up to Metro. And then you come back a couple, two and a half hours. And then it's like another hour back up home. <laughs> so I, yeah. On those games, I think I would go home with my, my folks. I wouldn't drive back down for the, for the bus or anything like that. Um, but there were, I mean, there was always times when, it, yeah, it was like, oh, geez, uh, you know, bus ride and then and then drive and and uh, at least the best times were, were the carpools, though. I mean, we at least got to drive with each other. Frank Madioc's dad used to drive us in the carav- uh, Dodge Caravan, I remember, and that was nice and spacious for us. Wow, that's uh, luxury. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, you wanted space, right? It didn't didn't matter what the car looked like. <laughs> you did right. like them. That's um, all that matters. It's a priority. <laughs> exactly. Uh, who else? Did, who else did you carpool with besides Maddie? Uh, my regular carpool was was Jack Goodell. We we would uh, we we drove together almost my second year. We I think we drove together every day or or if not every practice. We we drove together quite frequently. Um, and actually, one of the most memorable drives down was when I you know was kind of dozed off at the wheel and rear-ended somebody. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, these were back during when I seventy South seventy five was uh, uh, under construction perpetually for the two years. You know, it was never a, a clean drive. We always had to find different detours to take. Um, and I I was driving my my parents uh, Toyota Rav four, and I remember so distinctly that um, and. Um, I just kind of started dozing at the wheel from the monotony of the drive, and uh, Jack 
you know, smartly, he was not sleeping and he saw that I was not coming to a complete stop with the taillights in front of us. And he had pulled the emergency brake. So he he saved us a lot of, uh, of issue um, of damage. on top of that. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm still, I'm trying to picture this and I can't Goodell. I can picture doing that, pulling the, pulling the safety brake. That's him. But you, <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that was, yeah, that was, that was not a proud moment. And I think we, we still somewhat made it on time for practice. Uh, I had to like tape the, the front kind of fender, you know, the plastic, uh, back onto the car and good thing we had our bags with us I had some hockey tape we taped it back on and uh we're on our way <laughs> that is funny oh my gosh that is funny now i i would think that um i would think that you know as you you went in there like that and stuff uh you would were i mean jack is a more of a, a serious astute guy um were you kind of the antithesis were you kind of the I don't know, a uh, wiseacre jokester, or were you pretty much in that same camp? I was probably close to the same camp with him. I, I wasn't a, a super wisecracker or anything like that, or I was not, um, never needed to be the center of, of that. And I, I, I think we got along really well because of the, you know, similar, similar personalities in that regard of being able to just, you know, uh, Sit back quietly. (laughs) 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 Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Now, uh, did you, uh, I mean, the cast of characters from that era, uh, I mean, my gosh, between Fish, uh, Sexy, uh, I I, I suppose that's probably part of the reason you guys could never get a word in edgewise was... uh, I think I think one you're missing there too is is Mark Farrell. I mean, he was a rock <laughs> by himself. Like, yeah, the guy was he was somebody that would every now and then need to be picked up or hop in in the carpool too, and because uh, he was uh, a bit downriver, so he'd always be like exit thirty two or something where we'd pick him up at like a Home Depot parking lot, and uh, um, yeah, he was always a character, man. Like Mark was one of the funniest guys I think I've ever ever heard speak. <laughs> That's, I mean, and he was, uh, he wasn't a big guy. He was a little guy and he was a, a crap disturber because oh, yeah. he would, uh, he would go into those corners and stuff because, I mean, I think I talked about this with Doug Linden Smith, uh, earlier uh, that he, I mean, he had ability. He had some really good ability. He just, uh, he liked to go mess, mess things up in the corners and, uh, get everyone so cheesed off at him. I mean, he just had that natural ability, unlike Fish, who Fish could do that. But the thing was, is that Fish usually got not only people, you know, on the other team cheesed off at him. He he could also get people on his own team upset at him. <laughs> that was that was Fish's natural ability right there. That personality just shone right through. But no, I love Fish. He's he's awesome. And but no, I if I'm. I, I don't know if you've seen Farrell anytime, like in the last decade or so. <laughs> There's been some run. There was, I think it was a couple years ago uh, at Frazier for men's league playoffs and stuff like that. I had uh, run into him, I think, in the lobby just in passing. We didn't get to chat much, but you know, at least to see him and say hi was nice. Um, no other guys that uh, Ross Lane is another one that's in the uh, you know uh, men's leagues that I've I've played in, and I see him 
probably the the most frequently again more often than not just in passing just to say hi but uh uh guy good to see guys that you played with always you know it's 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 an exciting thing just to see somebody that you shared a lot of time with you know years years ago yeah now uh who but besides pharaoh who would you say is probably the uh funniest were the funniest guys that you had to work with or play with um back then Funniest. I mean, there was a all different. I mean, there was a lot of funny guys. I mean, if if you just went for consistent lightheartedness, I mean, Mark would be up there. But then there was guys who could pull some good pranks. I mean, Ryan Wall and Jay Clark, my second year as a as a tandem, did some did some hilarious stuff. You know, their own stories were always always nice to listen to in the locker room. Not always the you know PGs kind of stories, but. <laughs> but uh, Fun things to hear other people's things, uh, for sure. Uh, who else was was, was you know, just a wisecracker? I mean, DJ was. Um, I don't know. It's it's tough to pick. I I think Mark sticks at the top for me is because he just had something to say for just about everything. Every situation, he had a story, and every every single you know kind of one liners he could come up with, and yeah, he was hilarious. You know, and it's funny because. You, you think about it. Your first year, uh, two of the best defensemen that played on that team that were awesome were uh, J.C. Gulch and yeah. and Ryan Sell. And I think my left leg weighs more than the two of them combined. <laughs> you know, I mean, those guys weren't the biggest guys, but they, especially J.C., he knew how to get get under your skin really well. Him and Sully both. They yeah, were they, they, really they were good. they were an awesome tandem for a one-two defenseman. It was actually really great to be able to you know play behind them and kind of learn just from watching a lot, learn from practicing with them. I mean, just the habits and practice. I remember they had you know small things that they would do, and I would try and you know mimic at least you know they'd flip the puck to each other in lines and stuff like that. I'd try and get on that. We'd play keep away at the end of practice, and I'd make sure that they played dunk would jump in. But we 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 made small you know small I or at least I made small imitations of of, of what they did because they were so good. I mean, JC logged so many minutes when when we played. Uh, he was you know phenomenal shape. I mean, he never got tired. He was always one of the fastest. Always. So that was um, yeah, it was some something to emulate as a younger younger player on the team for sure. And same with Sally. And Sally was like possibly you know nicest between cell and andrew help you know two good buddies but like two of the nicest people in the world you know you want to talk yeah, about like just quality quality good good people who you know do just about anything for you yeah uh you know and it's funny because they were both i mean it's almost like you play hockey you know because i mean healthy couldn't uh healthy couldn't even spell the word mad or angry, you know, he just, that just isn't in his makeup. Uh, Andrew Helt is to this day, probably even then, not, never mind now when you grow up and you mature and everything else, but uh, he is probably, he was always probably one of the most well-mannered people, one of the most well-mannered players I ever saw on, on, on a Cherokee roster. And that's not putting any slight on anyone else. I'm just saying that's how nice he was. It was like, he was almost too nice. But that's just because he had a good upbringing. 
So yeah. good for, you know, so you can't fault him for that. And same thing with Selly. And of course, now Selly, he was also, I mean, he was a little taller than Farrell, but not much. But uh, he he was just a, a skinny a skinny guy. And I, I mean, I absolutely loved him. His parents, you know, his dad was hilarious. His mom, God bless her soul. She was just the, the, the funniest person and, uh, you know, loved, loved, uh, you know, talking to them when we, when you'd be out in the lobby or, you know, before or after a game, they were so much fun. And, and Sully was just, he, 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 he just cracks me up. And, uh, you know, so i you know, it's it's funny though, but you go from the, those those guys like him and JC, and then the next year, you've got a man beast in Ryan Wall. You've got your captain Jack Goodell, uh, who's no no skinny or little guy, I should say. He's no short guy, um, but uh, still the 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 difference. I mean, it's funny. You played two years, and yet you had as a rookie, you had a couple of really good. Uh, yeah. guys to play, look up to and then in your second year you had a couple of other beasts that you uh i mean goodell was a real he was another one that could get under your skin annoy you and get get you ticked off and then of course ryan wall well if he if his picture isn't in a post office i'd be surprised but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, i no, you, you mentioned it perfectly is that uh you know Two years, two very different looking decors coming out of it. I think Sexsmith and I were the only two carryovers from one year to the next. Um, uh, we had, I think the first year it was JC, so I think, um, who did we, else did we have? Trevor Sims. Um, mm-hmm. And then Sexsmith, myself, and I think Zach Taylor was on the team then for a bit. And I think Timmy Werner got traded down to us from uh from michigan ice dogs Mm -hmm. and then uh and then the next year yeah completely different looking decor we we got ryan wall who you know could fight four guys at once Um, (laughs) sexsmith who's you know okay he he could still fight four guys at once if he wanted to too uh and then goody came in uh and i i got to be paired with with mike sisk that's another one oh good old sisky man he always and of course he he had that 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 patch of facial hair, you know. yeah. God, cat like your face, but you know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, he uh, Siski's awesome. I, I, I get a kick out. I talk to him every once in a while because uh, he's uh, he works in the golfing industry, and uh, so I I talk. We do a, a radio show locally here on the weekends, and every now and then I'll I'll get on the horn with them to do interviews and stuff for uh, talking about some of the different places that he's been working, you know, as far as for golf courses and stuff. But, uh, so, you know, he's, he's a good guy and I got to get him on here soon. But anyway, um, so, uh, what was the, what was it like for you in terms of, uh, transitioning from year one to year two? Uh, I mean, did your role change? Were you, uh, yeah, yeah. It was. I think it was a, a a good natural transition. I mean, I mean, like like we've been talking about the guys ahead. You know, our team had a I'd say a pretty pretty significant turnover in in from vets to to what who the vets were the next year. Um, first year guys either aged out, moved on. Uh, I think 
I think three guys went up to the, the ice diggers, JC Sell and, and Pillmore. So that you know, three three of your impact players gone, and that left a lot of holes. And I, I think, I mean, I I hope looking back, I, I thought we did a pretty good job of stepping up into those open holes. Um, uh, got to be a one-two defenseman instead of the five-six, which was nice. Um, and uh yeah really grew i think the second year confidence wise playing wise everything you know first year was more a sit back and watch kid second year was okay now it's your time to do it and it and it really went well i mean i had a i enjoyed both years but they were very different you know again one year being being a rookie uh just kind of learning and getting used to the you know the the uh, big boy challenges of, of of big boy hockey and then, you know, the second year being able to carry some weight and, and be productive for the team. Um, and uh, I think it carried well because I, I at least did make a junior eight team eventually. So Yeah, it came in handy. So, so but, yeah, uh, it, was, uh, it was good. Um, but second year for sure, playing wise, I think I remember more from the second year just because uh, ice time went up, more impact on the game and, and just overall, you know, felt more confident out there and uh you know not being um not necessarily being in the shadows of guys but there were other guys who had earned stuff you know and they earned their ice time they earned what they were doing prior and to come in and uh, uh learn from that and kind of be take a back seat for a little bit it was a different different experience than i i uh uh had in hockey but prior to that and it was it was much needed. You know, it was definitely like a kind of a reality check of like, you know, you aren't the only one who's playing hockey. There's, there's 27 other guys, you know, who want to play just as bad as you do. Yep. So that's very true. So uh, when, when I was just thinking back, you know, I mean, like I said, I, I always liked your, uh, your, your skating ability. Um, when you trans, I know uh, when you transitioned from AAA to junior, uh, did you notice a big difference in terms of the style of play or the speed or the physicality of the game? Uh, physicality, I think, yeah, that was a, a jump up just because guys were, were bigger, stronger, a bit faster. I don't think the speed of the game was that different, but definitely the structure and smarts, you know, I mean. Uh, in the AAA games, you know, I would say there was probably more more talent on specific teams, but not everybody was as smart. Where you got to the junior level games, then then guys didn't have to you know out talent you; they just knew how to outplay you, and and that that was an adjustment for sure to learn hockey more. You know, learn learn a bit more about the right positioning of you know where to be, when to make the right decisions. Um, when to move the puck, how to move it, what what are you doing, you know? And I, I think it was a hockey IQ growth that that was the biggest jump, you know, from from AAA to to juniors. You're not just playing guys who want to skate, do it all themselves, you know, skate through everybody by themselves, go coast to coast, do whatever. Uh, you know, you got guys who can effectively play hockey and not waste all their energy doing it. <laughs> yeah, true. Now, um, where uh... When you, like I said, when you come out of that locker room and, you, I mean, it's game day and you're just fired up, ready to go, how, um, or did you have any, like, superstitions or uh, anything like that as far as a game day when you would try to 
uh, get ready to take the ice and start play? Uh, I mean, you get dressed the same way every time, right? You know, left side yeah. first, right side second, that kind of stuff. Um, I wasn't particularly super ritualistic in anything else other than, you know, the manner at which I got dressed. I did like having my candy bars ready for in between periods for the, you know, a little snack time. Um, <laughs> That, that, that that's another thing uh, yeah to go back to the difference between uh uh triple a playing and, and junior playing going to you know the full full 20 minute periods zambonis in between look much longer games much more exhausting and i never thought i was going to you know need a snack in the middle of a game before but that that became a thing you know and that, that's something i carried on well after Toledo years too is you know having having being, being ready to have a, a quick snack and then in between resurfaces. Um, what, uh, what was your candy bar of choice? If I could get my hands on a on a, on a Reese's fast break, that was always my go-to. But Snickers never were bad either. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, at least a half a candy bar in between periods was always good. Um, and then. Uh, the fast breaks I like because it, you know, that fake peanut butter, you just can't beat it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. And, it go, and, and, it, and plus, when you're kind of trying to do this quickly, it, it goes down quickly and easily. Yeah, so, exactly. So it melts real quick and it just goes down and you can just inhale it. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never had a candy bar. <laughs> no, never. Not me. Uh, I think I, I think I weighed more at birth than you do now, but anyway, no, but, uh, anyhow, so now, uh, you put, you know, I mean, as far as, uh, like a, did you have a pregame, uh, like meal ritual at all? Or, you know, a lot of guys talk about either pasta or chicken or something. Yeah. I, I wish I said, I wish I did. Um, looking back, I probably could have done things better that way to, to prepare myself better. Uh, didn't start doing that till I, I moved on to my junior A years. Um, but there are definitely things that I learned that didn't sit well before games and, and stayed away from. Them. But no, I I didn't have I wasn't a, a big like uh, meal prepper or, or, you know, I have to eat this and do this, 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 this way. Uh, kind of just had to, like I said, the, the getting dressed in the same order and just more or less being on time, being able to go through everything, not, not feeling rushed before games, I think was always my, uh, the best I felt was not having to feel rushed. I didn't, I didn't like having to, to feel like, uh, you know, in a panic before going out on the ice. Cause there's, you know, that's just the worst thing to feel is, you know, that kind of anxiety going out. Like, I, I didn't do everything that I need to do to get ready or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you're in Toledo, and we've we we've ducked it for as long as we can. Now, <laughs> now let's, uh, let, let's take that on. the hit. The hit. Uh, it's, it's Toledo versus Dubuque at the Ice House, and the faceoff is at the Dubuque Blue Line, or or not? That's after. That's after. But right. Yeah. Actually, the hit actually takes place right outside the Dubuque Blue Line. Yeah, right I remember. I remember the the exact strides that I took off the bench. I, I mean, it was like minutes left in the third. Uh, we were down, I think, five to two at the time. I think it was our second game against Dubuque already that weekend, so it was already, uh, you know, a series weekend. Um, and 
kind of end of the shift, end of the game shift. It was basically a meaningless shift. You know, I think we had, you know, done our, what we could to uh, to score, and so now it was okay. Let you know, let's roll lines again. And I first shift I had in probably a few minutes, and um, and I, you know, so being ready to get back out, I was like, okay, ready to go, and a couple strides off the bench, and I see I. It was one of the smaller guys on Dubuque, and I think he was – he just had his head down through the blue line, got like a semi-buddy pass, and then didn't ever look up afterwards. And I, I just kept skating forward instead of pivoting back and gapping up to it. I just was like, you know, I'll just hit – just go up and, and kind of pinch on this play and hit him. And I watched the film a million times. I loved your commentary on it, Mick. Had my back the whole way. You're, you're the man. <laughs> never Always. the bus for a second. That it was a sh- shoulder to center chest, but definitely was contact between our legs, but initiated at our at our chest level. My arms were down. I, obviously, they thought it was a dirty hit, knee on knee, and you know, again, this was my first year, so I like had no idea how to anticipate what happened afterwards. You know, I, <laughs> I like. I wasn't somebody who frequently got thrown out of games or was very much involved in a lot of the, uh, the, uh, high, um, (laughs) yeah, uh, the extracurriculars on the ice at all, really. And so when everything happened, I had no idea. And and the refs got me off the ice so fast. Like they, they, you know, I I think they gave me a penalty, but then they said, Nope, you're done. And I was getting undressed in the locker room, but I think even before my, my penalty was up on the, on the scoreboard before they had like sorted out how it was going to be. So at this point I'm in the locker room getting undressed, kind of just sitting there. I'm like thinking, I think Dixie came in and saw me beforehand and said, you know, uh, wasn't a bad hit. You're fine. You're fine. Dunks kind of gave me the same reassurance that like I didn't do anything wrong, which was also nice. You know, it's it's good to get that support. Um, but then uh, I hear just all hell break loose outside the locker room, and I again had no idea what the hell is going on. I'm I'm in the locker room, kind of getting undressed, getting ready to get, hop in the showers, and and then you know I just hear the. It sounds like a brawl happening in the hallway. And I had, at this point, I had already missed what happened on the ice, but the debut players were trying to come down our hallway back by the locker rooms and like continue the fight off the ice. <laughs> but it was, it was wild. I, I, I was definitely shaking, you know, I was a little shaken up by that because I thought I was going to get like, you know, just mauled on my way out to the cars and just, you know, <laughs> beaten by these one insane Dubuque fans that followed them there and two by the rest of their team. Uh, it wasn't until after I saw the videos and heard everything that I even knew that they sent that guy to run JR and that, you know, it was a bench, you know, basically a bench clear. And yep. I, I watched the video plenty and saw, I, I thought all of our guys did. I mean, it was great to see Seiple fighting as Bart was out there fighting. Um, oh. C was fighting. Oh, JR got some of the best hits and or best punches in in the whole fight because <clears throat> I think it was like a kind of a dog pile up and a, somebody was kind of throwing punches over on on top of Sipel and JR just came in and just slammed the pile and started throwing them and it was oh. like old time hockey you know it's like watching the watching um uh slap shot or something you know it's like holy smokes I can't believe this is real and th- this was in the game that I was. <laughs> Well, you know what the funny part is, is that you, um, we were looking for you in the penalty box. You weren't in the penalty box. 
And of course the bench was a mess. So we didn't, so we're like, and then they put, they had so many penalties to put up. They didn't have yours up there. Because they didn't have any Like my penalty never even got registered. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't. So essentially you could have just went back out there. Back out in the game, yeah. I think I, I think it was a safe call, you know, to to not go back out there. I think I would have ended up with a with a limb missing at the end of that. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, that that is funny. But you know, you know, the thing is, is that it led to something really good, and that is, I think, the last year Dubuque was in the CSHL. I mean, because they 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 beat us every every time they played us except the last year at home we beat them we swept them at the ice house that's awesome and, they, and that never happened before and I, I don't think there are too many teams that that ever happened to at all i don't even think st louis did it and uh it was uh it was just one of those things where man that was probably outside of you know championships and you know things like that one of my proudest moments Besides, you did a great job calling it. You did a great job calling the fight. Because, I... matter of fact, I think it was me and I think it might have been Toby Hafner. I think it was me and Toby because Rue was playing. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it was me and Toby. Toby, were, we were doing it for the BCSN, the television station. And uh, mm-hmm. we, uh, it was me and Toby sitting up there. And of course, he's going, This is just gong show hockey. And I am like <laughs> laughing. I'm just laughing, trying not to let it go over the air. And he's just sitting there going on and on and on about it and stuff. But I just thought it was hysterical. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I thought we were going to have like a, a, a squadron of cops come out there and yeah. have to bust things up. I mean, but, uh, you know, yeah, we looked for you and couldn't find. So I'm like, he didn't get anything. There's nothing up on the board for him. They didn't announce it when they did. When they PA announced all the penalties, you never came up. <laughs> I, and I think you even said it in the in the, the calling, like they didn't even initially blow the play dead for a penalty it was because he nope. wasn't getting up right yeah that yep. was and then they went on the attack and trying to jump you oh, because yeah. i mean seriously you went with your shoulder square you straight up right in the right in between right in his chest and you know knees being what they are whatever but it wasn't like you if you would have made contact with his knee first then we got something to talk about right right but that wasn't it you lined him up and you blew him up and they can't, you know, you can try and uh, put all the lipstick you want on a pig, but it's still a pig. Okay. This was a clean hit, hands down. He got lit up and that's it. You know, I mean, and that's, and of course it sparked the rest of everything else, but still, um, and yeah, JR jacking uh, that kid in the jaw. Oh, oh my yeah. God. That was a thing of beauty. That was just a thing of beauty. Um, and, and Siple. Dude, you talking about a really nice guy? That's, yeah, that's that, yeah. that, that, another, that. another upstanding nice guy that would do anything for you. Yep, Austin Seipel. Now I say that with this with this uh, caveat: don't ever get in a fight with him, because he will destroy you. That, I mean, that kid—he is all muscle and bones, and and uh, is one of the most soft-spoken guys you'll ever come across. He works uh, where I work. And, um, and, uh, I, uh, I, I've run into him from time to time and anyway, but, and like I said, 
most soft-spoken, kind-hearted guy you ever want to meet. But, dude, <laughs> that guy can throw bombs with those fists. You hear me? Bombs. <laughs> and, ooh, just, uh, just one tough hombre. But uh, he is, I mean, again, that was probably, as far as fights go, uh, that's probably one of the most satisfying events that I saw uh, with the Cherokee. Because, I mean, we couldn't win on the scoreboard. That wasn't our day that day but we won it in the back alley. So, and it turned things around because we played teams better. I think it kind of uh, took the, the, the apprehension. I won't say fear. I'd say apprehension about taking chances and doing things the right way and being more aggressive in the way that we played. And it led to, like I say, the next season, we, we ended up sweeping them at home. And uh, that was something I don't think they, and, and, you know, the way they were, they was like, you know, you don't show us up. We're going to show you up. Right. Yeah. And so when that happened, like I said, it was just very, very satisfying. So, but um, now, uh, was there any kind of target on your back after all of that went down? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I never had to. I never had to fight anybody because of it. Um, I think. I think when we played in Dubuque the next time. I think Dunks did it on purpose. He started me um, so that I could be, you know, go out for the national anthem and, and you know, be announced. But uh, other than that, I, you know, I don't think there was much, much that they did to me in terms of retribution. I think, I think it ended, you know, really with that, the, that uh, I, I, I can't remember the guy's name that ran JR, but that guy was nuts. You know, that yeah, was, yeah, most that kid was a, their you goon. Know, yeah kind of ended there so i didn't i didn't have to deal with much of a target on my back or anything than the following year no no he got suspended for the season that year i think i believe he did yeah for running jr so uh but uh again but jr with the with the leapfrog that was great (laughs) love that that was hilarious but um so you you play a couple seasons in toledo Uh, um what uh, led you to end up becoming a Nepean Raider? Um, so I, I attribute that again to, you know, coaches leading me in the direction. Um, Dunks coached the CSHL, I think it was like the under-18 Toronto Prospects team. And he brought a few of us with him, you know, from from our team. I think it was me. I think it was Dougie. It may have been Boehner and Bubba, too. Uh, Bubba mm-hmm. Colt and, and, and Brent Bain. If I remember correctly, I, mean, I may be mis- misremembering that, but I think it was that. The, the no, school. I think you're right. You're right. And we went up to the Toronto Prospects Tournament, and um, the coach of Nepean had approached me there. Uh, he said, you know, he, he watched our games, and the reason why he was watching our games uh, was because he was teammates with Dunk on um, the BGSU 1984 uh, National Championship yes. team. So Duncan knew him, and it's Gary, it turned out to be Gary Galley, you know, and he had a, his own illustrious NHL career. Um, so that the connection really came from Dunks, you know, bringing, you know, having us come to the the prospect tournament and and using his network to um, to have you know higher level teams check us out. And uh, Gary had given me the opportunity to come to their they had a, a midsummer skate. 
um, as well as their training. It just played like kind of the loosest, I think, most confident in hockey I had ever played because it was like, this is a no pressure. You know, either way, I've got a plan, and, and I just I just played. You know, I was played to have fun and played to, to you know, really just – do the best of what I could do. And, and it, it worked out for the best. Uh, I had a great year there. Um, Stunk got in, I, I broke my wrist, uh, you know, in training camp, which, you know, sidelined things a, a little bit. Um, but once I came back off the IR, I was, I enjoyed that year so much and, and just had so much fun, you know, just playing hockey was around a lot of really good players. You know, a couple of guys on the team got drafted. Um, some of them, you know, still are playing pro careers and, you know, some of the best hockey I have ever been around and just great people, just, just a fan, you know, if I, everybody that I've, you know, talked to since it actually was one of the things that I think got, I brought up in my uh, initial job interviews was like, you know, what's an experience that you, you know, you know, they ask you about what experience do you take risk or whatever. And, and it's the thing I always talk about. I was like, well, I had school in hand and I decided to go play hockey and it was turned out to be like one of the best networking, just general life memory years of my life. So, and uh, yeah, it was, it was great. It was great. And a lot of, and, and then I add on top of it, some of the best hockey, you know, I've ever been a part of. So was uh, that uh, when you played in the PN? Were they uh, were they good teams? Yeah, yeah, and and our team uh, we we lost the the Pembroke Lumber Pembroke Lumber Kings were were coached by Sheldon Keefe at the time, the current uh, you know Toronto um, Maple Leafs coach, uh, and he had a very good team there. But Gary was our coach, and um, our team was also pretty pretty darn good. Um, and, uh, you know, we had a couple guys with, you know, 50 goal season, 100 point seasons and things like that. Um, and uh, like I said before, a couple of dra- uh, guys that were picked well in the draft. And um, we played them to a six game series in the in the finals and for the, the league championship. And that was just awesome. I mean, stunks that it really you know, just was heart wrenching to lose. But looking back again, just one of the best seasons of hockey ever. But yeah, good teams, very good team. Um, uh, can't say enough about the level of hockey that was played out there. <laughs> just, uh, just, just really, really good. Well, um, and of course, now did the travel uh, in uh, in Toledo? Did that prepare you for like some of the? travel you had to do up there in Ontario? Yeah, actually it was, you know, almost, almost the same, <laughs> you know, not, not the most glamorous travel, but, but nice enough for, for junior hockey teams for sure. And the bus rides, you know, knowing how to behave on bus rides and have a good time with everybody and milk what you can out of the hours on the bus. And uh, yeah, it, it was a, a really good, you know, transition from junior B, you know, the, I don't know what do they call it now, tier three junior or whatever it is, but tier three when, junior, yeah, yeah. But uh, when it, while it was still designated junior B, it was very, it was a very uh, high run. You know, we had we had good facilities, we had good good support. You know, and all all that's it was a, a junior A club in that regard to the way it was run. I think. Yeah. Well, um, so where did you go to school to play uh, ACHA? 
So I ended up at uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, which was a story in and of itself, because uh, when I decided to play um, in the Pian, I had, you know, a couple schools when I got into uh, that, um, you know, I had asked, applied for scholarship, academic scholarships, which I received, and um, they wouldn't defer them for a year because, you know, I told, I basically went back to the schools that I had gotten accepted to and got scholarships to was, hey, can I defer for a year and kind of use you as my fail safe if hockey doesn't work out? If I can't get a, a, a you know, a college hockey scholarship, can I come and uh, come back here and use the scholarship that I already earned? And UMBC was the only school that kind of upheld an agreement like that of, they basically said, we have no problem being your second choice as long as we are your only second choice, essentially, of if you don't go and commit to a D1 school, we'll uphold your, your academic scholarship and you can come play here. And so that worked out great. So what was it like uh, being in Baltimore? It was <laughs> East Coast is different for sure, right? I mean, East Coast is yeah. a different, different and everything. It was great playing there. Um, I, I made a lot of really, really good friends on the teams, you know, as the four years that we played, the guys in and out. Um, I'd say the guys in my same year and the, the year above me, I mean, we, we still go on tournament trips for pond hockey and stuff together. So it was, it was fantastic um, playing there for sure, the friendships and things that came out of it. Baltimore in and of itself, not that different than Detroit, really. I mean, the city that, you know, kind of has its good spots and bad spots, but otherwise is is fun to to, to be in. Um, did you so spend a was, lot of time in the Inner Harbor? We did. We, we, we would enjoy our time down at the Inner Harbor. They got that, like, power plant live area that was fun to go to. You know, the different kind of college bars and things. There's, the, I mean, the, the big difference, and this is what I didn't know about the East Coast. I mean, there's a college every 30 feet, right? You throw a stone yeah. and you get a new school. Um, so there's just the amount of, of, of things that are geared specifically towards kids in college is, is very different than what it is here. I mean, here, yeah, we have schools and everything, but it's not the, I wouldn't say it's nearly the same as what the East Coast is set up like. You know, we've got our, our towns that are dedicated to the schools, but they, I mean, each city has got, you know, massive, massive schools in them. And it's not just one or two, it's, it's like three or four. And it's like, you're having a lot of fun <laughs> and a lot of people kind of just turn, turn and look the other way. Ah, college students being college students. <laughs> oh Lord. That's funny. Now, uh, were, were you, were you, did you, uh, did you pretty much uh, have the same role playing in uh, in Baltimore that you did when you were in the PN or Toledo? Um, I think I, I mean, I, not to toot my own horn, but I, I did get a lot of respect out there because I was one an you know an out of state player from a, a hockey hot market, and then I just came off my year of playing juniors, so I was. We had good players, don't get me wrong, but I was I was in a top driver's seat there for sure. I got to be the captain. I got won multiple best you know league best defenseman awards. I got to be an all American a few times. So I definitely got to be a big fish in a smaller pond out there. Um, wow. So, so was, it was fun being, being 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 able to be one of the dominant people for for you know instead of just being one of the many faces being a, being one to dominate was was nice. Well, uh, who did? Uh, what teams did you play uh, in, when you were out there? Um, 
So we actually played healthy uh, a couple times in like our regionals because he, he went to Miami of Ohio um, and played. Uh, but our regular season games were, were our, our regular season teams um, were like uh, TCNJ, so Tech, uh, Tech College in New Jersey. Um, we would play, uh, was it Marist? We would play a lot of, a lot of New Jersey-based teams. New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Penn State, before they made the jump to Division One. Um, uh, what is it? What else? Temple um, was a big rival for us because our coach was the Temple's coach, and they came, you know, and then he came over to us. So we kind of had that like little animosity there. Uh, Rowan uh, University, like I said, mostly based out of like Philly and 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 New Jersey was was kind of our our regular season games. Um, every now and then we you know we made it up to Princeton for games. We'd go up to NYU. Um, so all up and down the East Coast, but uh, it's mostly based out of yeah, that little tri-state area. Of, it's not too bad. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, um, so when you finished playing in in, in Maryland, UMBC, uh, how hard was it to make the transition to say, I'm done with competitive hockey? Um, I haven't even made that transition yet. I'm, <laughs> I'm coaching now. So as soon as I got back, uh, I started when I finished school, I started working at Ford, um, working as a transmission design engineer. And uh, that's that's in and of itself a whole nother walk of life. Um, kind of going to the corporate world was an adjustment. But uh, to keep myself occupied on the hockey front, I started um, coaching youth hockey around here for our local gross point teams and then uh, as well as in Frazier and kind of jumped around right now I'm actually and I was going to say I I'm running out of time here because I got a 215 game I got to jump to you know with COVID oh, we, don't worry we're, we're going to be done <laughs> no but uh um the the boys that I coach now are, are their 2008 birth year uh, and they're just a mid-level travel team um so I I very much stick with the game and and haven't uh, let go of it quite yet. Coaching's now my my second calling with hockey. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see yourself going trying to coach at higher levels? No, I doubt it. I I, I just enjoy being able to get on the ice and kind of have fun with the kids and and uh, you know I mean I've I, I look back and say I've had some of the best coaches available. Uh, you know, everywhere I've played, you know, going from Gary to Dunks to all the way down to my minor hockey coaches. And they taught me a lot. And I just hope I can translate some of the stuff that that I learned, you know, to the next group of hockey players and still be able to kind of enjoy being around the rink myself, you know, get my uh, get my own enjoyment out of it, but be able to pass some of it on too. Um, well, that's fair enough. Well, I'll tell you what, before we go, uh, two things. One, um, what advice would you give to a, if you were uh, knowing what you know from going through what you went through, if you were in a locker room with uh, a, a current Cherokee team, what would, what advice would you give to them? I think, I, I think the best advice um a couple different layers of advice uh, I would give. One is, you know, you spend, and this was something actually I, uh, I remember um, from Frank Madiak's dad telling us this. I, I can't remember, but 
you spend the first half of your life doing stuff for other people so that the second half you can cash in on some of it and people start doing stuff for you. So don't be, you know, the first piece of advice is don't be afraid of the, you know, doing things for others for a while without seeing any return on it. You know, it's it's banking it for for future, I think. Uh, the second layer specifically to hockey would be, you know, enjoy the be patient with the process, enjoy the process, you know, learning, development, everything that comes along with it. Enjoy it while you're in it, because if you if you if you sit there as a sourpuss or, or not really appreciate it for what it is, you'll look back and feel like you missed out on a lot. Um, and, you know, the the staying staying patient with the process, I mean, you know, it takes time to get good. It takes time to 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 practice. You got to get your repetitions and all that. But then as well, don't get frustrated with if things aren't going your way. I mean, you'll look back and say, you know, things weren't going my way for a lot of other reasons than what I can immediately see right now. So be patient. And then, you, you know, if you stick with it and stick with the determination, things will good things will, will follow your way. And I said, OK, last thing. Um a lot of a lot of different folks from different eras, fans, whatever, um, tune into this. Uh, what would you What do you want to say to Cherokee Nation? Uh, I I don't know. I, I that's a tough. Uh, I would say I loved my years as, as as a Cherokee. I hope everybody else has the same kind of fond memories of being part of the organization. Although I'm not around or involved in it as much as, as others may be, or even with, you know, a lot of the alumni or whoever else is doing whatever, uh, whatever level of involvement they have. Even those of us who don't have the most involvement still appreciate the organization. I, you know, check in on it. I like to see how it's doing at all different levels. And once part of the nation, always part of the nation, I guess. So I, I love what's what's going on with it now. I think the youth program's done a really good job. You know, it's respected up here in, in Michigan. You know, we know the Cherokee youth teams, and I think it's 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 a proud point of my own past history, and I, I hope everybody else looks at it the same. Can't ask for better than that. Well, Nick, I appreciate the time, my friend. Uh, I, I look forward to a day when all this, uh, when we get back to something resembling normal, we can uh, have some fun and maybe get together for an alumni game or at least a reunion just to hang out, watch the current Cherokee play, and have a couple pops and tell some tall tales. Oh, yeah, that would be, you know, it, that day can't come soon enough. <laughs> Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. Well, that's going to do it here for episode 49 here of the Cherokee Rewind. We thank you so much for hanging